Then we come to the second part, the second message in our nine-part series entitled Timely Answers to Tough Questions. Last week we began this series by looking at the question, is the Bible relevant today? That was our starting place. Is the Bible relevant today? Has it become outdated? Is it sufficient? Is it enough? Does it apply to our lives today? Is the Bible relevant today? Well, the answer was, if you remember, yes. Uh, It was absolutely yes. Now, if you'd like more detail than just yes, uh, you'll have to go back and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, But if you're okay with that, is the Bible relevant today? The answer is absolutely yes. Well, today we come to the second question in our series, and I want to begin by saying this is the single most important question any person will ever answer. Now, I'm not overstating that. I want you to be sure of that. This is the single most important question that any person will ever answer. In fact, I will tell you this morning, if you do not arrive at the correct answer to this question, no other question in your life will have mattered. If you marry, whom you will marry, what your career will be, where you will live, what you did with your time, what you invested in, all of those things, none of them will matter if you miss the correct answer to this question. The question this morning is, am I saved? Am I saved? Now, you might say, well, why did you choose to look at this question? Don't we already know this? Isn't this what we all already know? Isn't this an easy question? Well, the answer I'm going to give you this morning is in two parts. Now, the reason that I am and that we are focusing on this question is, Number one, the repercussions are eternal. Eternity actually hangs in the balance with this answer. So it's that big of a deal. Eternity hangs in the balance. And so that's the first reason. The second reason is this. There are many people, I believe, who believe that they are saved or have the wrong idea of salvation, and they are not. And I can think of no more terrible fate than to have bought the lies, to have bought the false assurance of Satan, and to have missed the truth of Jesus. And so today's question is, am I saved? Now, we're going to look at a bunch of verses. We're going to look at several verses. But I'm going to start off, we're going to start off with Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Am I saved? I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me and the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Romans 10, 13, God's Word says this, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we are thankful for you today. We praise you today. We're thankful that you've walked with us. We're thankful that you've never left us, never forsaken us. We're thankful that right now we stand in hope. We stand in peace, beautiful peace. Lord, we're thankful that we have an eternity with you. We have the forgiveness of our sins through you. And so we come right now and we praise your name. We lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray now as I begin to 
to preach this message. I pray that it will be your words. I pray that it will be your question. I pray that it will be your truth. And I pray that the result will be there will be many who are established in solid faith. Some that can say, yes, I am saved, and I have no doubt. And I pray for some that are listening, some that are here today that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, I know the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it's no less powerful. I pray that in the preaching, the hearing, and the receiving of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that today there will be eternities changed for your glory. Lord, we ask that you would speak and move. We ask that you would remove any hindrance to our hearing. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, our first step is to determine what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Now, this is a word that we throw around a lot uh, in our circles, in Christian circles. We say, well, I got saved in the fourth grade, or, or when I was a young adult, I made a decision and I got saved. Or we ask about other folks. We say, well, do you think they are saved? Are they saved? Or we might declare of someone, oh man, they need to get saved. Or we pray for people to be saved. Well, the question is, what does it mean? What are we talking about when we use this language? What does it mean to be saved? Now, here's a newsflash, and I, I want to start off with this. It does not mean going to heaven alone. I think sometimes we think that. Sometimes that's the connotation that we have. You're saved, and so it means you're going to heaven. And so we think being saved means going to heaven. And we want people to be with us, to join us in heaven, and so we're hoping they get saved. Now be sure and hear me, listen to me. One of the benefits of being saved is eternal life. One of the benefits of being saved is going to heaven. But the word is not synonymous with going to heaven. Now, as we start off, let me tell you something unpopular, and it's very unpopular. Uh, most folks won't say this, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. Here's the truth. Most people are not saved. Most people are not saved. The Bible says that. Bible says that's the testimony of the truth. Most people are not saved. Now, we like to think, well, everybody's saved. For sure, everybody in my neighborhood, all of my friends, my good friends, they're all saved. Well, the truth is, most people are not saved. And so we better figure out what does this word mean? What does it mean to be saved? Now, the word for saved Romans 10, 9, here in our verse, Romans 10, 13. Acts 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Many other places as well. The word saved in the New Testament, it is the Greek word sozo or sotir. It translates, listen to the, to the definition, it translates to be delivered out of danger and into safety. And so to be saved is to be delivered out of danger and into safety. It translates to be rescued out of destruction. Now, I want you to, to try and picture that, to be rescued out of destruction. It means to be made well where you were not well, to be restored. 
It means a person that is perishing is delivered to safety. And so understand, to be saved is to actually, literally, be rescued out of danger and to actually be saved and taken into safety. And so when we talk about the word saved, it actually means that. To be delivered out of, out of harm, out of danger, and to be delivered to safety. Well, if that's the definition, if that's what it means when we say that, you're lifted out of danger, you're preserved out of danger, well, then the natural question then becomes, if we are saved, what are we saved from? What are we saved from? Now, there's a lot of folks that, that, that mess this up. There's a lot of folks that put different uh, meanings of this in. If we're saved, what are we saved from? Stay with me. Here we go. Remember this morning, our God is holy. Our God is holy. He's not like us. Our God is holy. Our God can have no part of sin. Our God can have no part of sin because of his nature, because of his character. He can have no part of sin. Our God, the Bible tells us, he actually abhors sin. He hates sin. He is in opposition, dire opposition to sin. And so because our God is righteous and because he is perfectly just, he must and he does and he will judge sin. I want you to hear that. Because our God is perfectly just, because he is righteous, he must judge sin. Sin must be punished. If God is perfectly just, we love that about him. Well, if that is who he is, he must punish sin. Sin must be dealt with. Friends, that's not popular. That's not a picture of God most people like. They want a God that he's here and he's, he's out watering the flowers and he's got a, a sunrise out there and he's there to serve us. It's not a picture people want to see. And so listen, today it has become a truth that people avoid. I'm going to read some verses today here in a moment that I, I don't know, you can scan church services all across the nation today and I don't think you'll hear these verses preached today. This is the topic people want to avoid today. We want our attendance to swell. We don't want to offend anybody. We want everybody to approve of what we're doing. And so it is a truth that is avoided today. Let me tell you, sadly in the church, it's a truth that's avoided. Sadly in the pulpit, it is a truth that is avoided. Listen to me this morning. We must talk about sin. And we must be very clear about God's judgment of sin. I hear preachers and they say, well, that's not what I want to talk about. That's not what our church's mission is. Listen, we must talk about sin and we must be very clear about God's judgment of sin. I'm going to read some verses. You just listen. I'm going to read some verses from Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. Listen to this. This is judgment at the throne of God. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jumping ahead to chapter 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There in the book of Revelation, we have the description of the final judgment of God. I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear this. If you have sinned, that is your punishment. If you have sinned, that is your punishment. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned by having sinned is death. If you have sinned, and I'm talking about any sin, that is your punishment. And I want you to be certain it is real. This is God's word. It, it is right. I earn that punishment. I like to walk around and think, well, I'm not that bad of a guy. I'm surely better than some of those folks over there. Listen, I earned that punishment. You earned that punishment. And God in justice and God in righteousness he will deliver that punishment. Well, today the idea is, well, I don't like that version of God. That must be some outdated version of God. That upsets me. I don't, I don't want a God like that. Let me ask you a question. What if there were a judge and this judge saw people abuse others but he looked the other way. He saw folks steal from others. They had worked hard and they'd earned some things and they'd accumulated some things and he watched some folks and they came and they stole from them and this judge looked the other way. What if there was a judge and he saw even murder, the hatred of heart carried out. He saw the folks that would murder others and he overlooked it. It was fine with him. Or what if he punished some of the folks some of the guilty, but he let others go. Maybe his friends got a pass. Maybe those that had paid him a bribe, they got a pass. Maybe on the days that he was busy, they got a pass. And because of the actions of the judge, sin meant nothing. And justice meant nothing. Let me ask you a question. Would that judge be just? Would that judge be righteous? Righteous means doing the right thing. Would he be doing the right thing? Could that judge be counted as good? And I'm talking about morally good. If that's what he did, could he be counted as morally good? No, the answer is that would be terrible. There would be crime and there would be abuse and it would go unchecked and it would escalate. It would be terrible. That judge, I'm going to tell you this, would be evil. Hear me. To have and to live and to enjoy righteousness, we must have a just God who judges righteously. 
You see, we say we're looking for a day there'll be no more sin, no more stain of sin, no marker of sin. We're looking for a day when these former things will have passed away. Listen, if we're going to have and we're going to live and we're going to enjoy in righteousness, we must have a just God who judges righteously. Sin must be dealt with. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That's a good thing. That's a loving thing. That is a gracious thing. We have a God that will deal with sin. That is a good thing. The truth is, if we have sinned, we are under the just judgment of God. Now, insert yourself there. If you have sinned, you are under the just judgment of God. If you have sinned, if we have sinned, we are out of fellowship with a holy God. He can have no part of sin. He can have no part of us. If we have sinned, if you have sinned, we are guilty. We are condemned. Listen to me. We are sentenced to death, the second death that I just talked about. And that is right. That's correct. That's what should happen. How terrible is that? I want to tell you, I can't tell you how terrible that is. There is a God, and he is pure and righteous and holy. And there is a God that hates sin. And as sinners, his anger towards sin, his judgment of sin awaits for us. I, I don't have words to tell you how horrible that is. Now, we might like to play that off. And we might like to dress that up. And we like to may, maybe excuse it in some way. I don't have words enough to tell you how terrible it is to be under the judgment of God for your sin. I can't describe how terrible that is. The Bible says his anger, his wrath, the vengeance of God, that's what the Bible says. It is fixed on you. It is fixed on me and it will be poured out on us. God's judgment is real. God's penalty is real. Laugh it off if you want. It's real. Eternal hell is real. Think about that for a second. Consider that for a second. There's a whole lot of folks and their answers say, well, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't, I don't accept it. Folks, I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter if you don't believe it. That is the truth. Now, let me tell you something, what you might say about me. You might say, well, you're just mean and you're angry. You got to ask to grind. You're judgmental. I've heard that. You're judgmental. You're not loving. That's what you may tell me. Well, friends, I want to just tell you this. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Outside of God's mercy and grace, I stand with you, condemned in my sin. But I want to tell you, his judgment is real. And in our sin, we stand under the just judgment of God. And the wages of sin is death. And their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. God does, and he will judge sin. God will punish all sin. Good grief, that's hard. He will judge all sin. He will. If you're in your sin, you're under the just judgment of God. 
But there is good news. You ever wonder why the gospel is called good news? We hear that. I'm gonna, I want to preach the good news. The gospel is good news. You ever wonder why the gospel is called good news? Hold on this morning. You're about to find out why it's called good news. Listen very carefully. God is just, and God is good, and God is righteous. And in his goodness, he will deal with sin. That's what we want. That's what we need. In his goodness, he does and will judge sin. But listen to me this morning. But he's also merciful. He's also gracious. He's also compassionate to us as sinners. He sees the plight that we're in. He sees the dire trouble that we're in. He knows that we are doomed. He knows that we are perishing. And he knows there is nothing that we can do. He sees our helpless estate. He sees our hopeless condition. And in love, he's going to uphold justice. But also in love, He shows us compassion. He shows mercy to us as sinners. Friends, listen. In order for there to be good news, there must be bad news. And that's how that works. That's how how we understand how good the good news is. In order for there to be good news, there must be bad news. And I want to tell you today, if we neglect the bad news if we don't talk about sin, if we don't talk about the cost of sin, if we don't talk about the penalty of sin, if we neglect the bad news, we diminish the good news. The reality is as sinners, we are doomed. I am, you are, we are guilty. We bear our shame, the the shame over your sin, you bear it. In our sin, we are perishing. I'm perishing. You're perishing. The Bible says, in our sin, we are enemies of God. And enter Jesus. Praise the Lord. Enter Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus comes. He's the promised Savior. All the way back to the book of Genesis, we're promised a Savior, a Deliverer. Jesus comes. He is the promised Christ, the Messiah. He is the promised deliverer. Remember the word save means to take from danger and to place in safety. Well, Jesus comes and he's born as a person able to save people. He's in the position to save. He comes as a person. He takes on human flesh. He's able to save people. He's in the position to save. He's also born as God. He is fully God. He's able to defeat death. He's able to defeat sin. And so he's not only willing to save, but because he's God, he is able to save. And so he comes, he's in the position to save. He is coming willing to save. And he comes as God, able to save. Now watch this. He lives his life here on earth. He goes through his days, and though tempted in every way as a man, he is without sin, is what the Bible says. He never sins. Do you see why this now matters? He has no penalty due of him. He has earned no punishment for his sin. Because he is not, he is able to go as the Lamb of God. All of those sacrifices pointed to him. All of those lambs that were sacrificed They were pointing to him. 
He never sins because he doesn't sin. He's able to go as the Lamb of God. He goes to the cross, the Bible says, and he takes our sin. Now, the hugeness of that is really unimaginable. Every sin of every person, my sins that you know, my sins that are secret, my vilest, wickedest sins, every sin, he takes my sin. He takes your sin. The Bible says he takes the sin of the world, and the Bible says he even becomes that sin. He goes to the cross, and God's wrath for sin, God's punishment of sin is put on him. God's judgment of sin, his punishment of sin is placed on him. And the wrath and the judgment of God towards sin is heaped on Jesus. It is poured on Jesus at the cross of Calvary. You want to know what the cross is about? You want to know why we revere the cross? It's because at the cross, our sins are paid for. The punishment for, from God for sin is poured out on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Remember the penalty is death. For the wages of sin is death. What we have earned is death. The Bible says, having been nailed to the cross, he breathed his last, and Jesus died. Does sin go unpunished? No, it's punishing the person of Jesus. Does justice escape? No, it is upheld and is served in the person of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I want you to hear that again, 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What's happening on the cross? He's paying for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, be sure, Jesus took our payment for sin. Jesus died paying our punishment, our penalty, dying our death for our sin. That's what happened at the cross of Calvary. And as the song that we were just singing says, and Jesus paid it all. It's all paid for on the cross of Calvary. Justice is upheld. They take Jesus off of that cross. A couple of his friends come they pull him off that cross. They wrap him in his grave clothes. They put him in the tomb. And you know the story. Three days later, as the sun comes up, the Bible says it was on the first day of the week. The Savior for sinners, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice made for us with a receipt in his hand, with redemption secured. Do you understand that? On that Easter Sunday morning, the price of redemption has been paid with redemption secured. He walks out of that grave, friend, and he is risen, and it is over. It is settled in him, and he stands as the risen Savior. 
but we're not done. See, those are the facts. That's the truth. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. That's what happened in the person of Jesus. He came, he came, he was born as a man, born of a virgin. He lived a life he never sinned. He goes as the Lamb of God of the cross of Calvary. There he pays for sin. They put him in a grave. The burial of Jesus. Three days later he walks out of the grave. He stands as the resurrected Savior Jesus. That, those are the facts. But here we are. Still sinners. Here we are still guilty. Those are the facts, but here we are still condemned in our sins, still rebels against God. He paid the price of our redemption, but what's that to us? How does that mean anything to me? How does that apply to me? How does that apply to us? Folks, listen very carefully. God in his grace and God in his mercy and totally unearned by us in the greatest gracious act of love says to us, if you will believe that in your heart, if you will profess with your mouth the belief of your heart, Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. Now I want you to notice something just happened here. It just became personal. It just turned and it just became personal. Here's what the testimony of Scripture is. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you believe, you will be saved. Listen, that's the good news. If you believe, you will be saved. Now I want you to hear some verses now. I want you to think about the road that we've just traveled as we hear these verses. John chapter 3 verse 16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're delivered to something. Now hear this verse, John chapter 3, verse 36. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Now hear Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Now hear Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt. There's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Now hear Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen, you will be saved. Now hear Romans 10, 13, and whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to be saved this morning? It means you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. You believe he has carried your shame and your guilt to the cross of Calvary. He has taken the punishment from God towards sin and paid for it there. He has paid your debt. And it is settled at the cross of Calvary. It means you look to his finished work and to none of your own. And in faith you receive him as your Savior. And in doing so, listen to this, you're set free. Woo, listen to that. And in doing so, you're cut loose. You're let loose. Your record is a sponge in Jesus. 
Your, your, your sentence is pardoned. You had a sentence and you stood justly under that sentence. The, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on you and your sentence has been pardoned. You stood under the penalty of your debt. You stood awaiting your death and in the person of Jesus by faith in him. Listen to me. You are saved, delivered from danger, delivered to safety. So back to the question. Am I saved? Here you sit listening. Maybe you're some other place. Am I saved? Am I saved? Have you ever seen your sin? The gravity of it, the grossness of it. Have you seen your sin? Are you still trying to explain it away? Do you understand the penalty for your sin? It's death. It's not inconvenience. It's death. Do you understand the penalty for your sin? Do you know that? Do you know Jesus is the remedy for sinners? You know, he came and made a way. He came and took care of it. Have you received him in faith? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I understand what you did. I understand who I am. And today I'm professing you as my Savior, my Lord. I'm claiming you as my only hope, but my standing hope. Have you ever received Jesus in faith? Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? Let me ask you a question this morning. Has that ever happened for you? Has that ever happened for you? Is that what you could say today? Yes, I understand my sin. And I grieve over my sin. I, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm ashamed of it. Have you ever said, you know what? I, I understand there's a penalty, the just judgment of God, and I, I see what it is, and I see Jesus came, and in great mercy he came, and he was beat beyond recognition. He died my death, and I understand he lives today, standing today as the victor, and I profess him as my Lord and Savior. Have you ever done that? We're almost done. There's three answers. There's three answers to that question. First answer is this. Yes. You're able to sit here today and say, yes. I know my sin. And I hate my sin. But you know what? I love my Savior, the remedy for my sin. And I've trusted Jesus and God's word testifies. I've done according to what God's word has said. God's spirit inside of me testifies. And praise the Lord, I can say, you know what? I'm not worth two cents. I'm not. I didn't earn anything. I don't deserve anything. But in the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the finished work of my Savior, Jesus, I am saved. Praise the Lord. That's one of the answers. I'm saved. I know it. Another answer is this, that you have to say no. No. I, I've never heard that. Maybe you say, I've never heard that. Maybe I've heard versions. Maybe I've skirted around. I've never heard that. Maybe you say, I've, I've heard that a million times, but I've never understood it. Maybe you say, I've heard it a million times. I never, I never made it mine. It was never my sin that grieved me. It was never my sin that Jesus died for. Maybe you're waiting on something else. Maybe you still love your sin too much. Maybe it's still too attractive. And you think, I'm going to do some of that again. I'm not ready to turn to Jesus. And so maybe your answer today is no. No, I haven't trusted Jesus. I want to tell you your answer today is just turn to Jesus. It's no complicated thing. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to memorize 10 verses. Your answer is say this, I know my sin. I'm tired of it. I know my Savior Jesus. I know he paid for it. 
And in faith, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. Your answer today, if your answer is no, is turn to Jesus. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. There's another answer. That answer is this. Now, I think there's a lot of folks that might fit into this. They'd say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I think that's an honest answer. I'm not sure. I, I think I did something one time. I'm not sure what I did. I'm not sure what I understood. I went through a class. I went through a religious act. Maybe, I, maybe in fourth grade, I went to a vacation Bible school. Maybe, maybe I don't know what I did. I don't know where I stand. Maybe you're here saying, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I want to tell you today, you can be sure. And God doesn't make it ambiguous. And God doesn't try to play a trick on us. He wants us to know. And so let me tell you what your answer. Your answer is this. Say, I don't know what I knew in the past. And I don't know what I understood in the past, but you know what I know today? I know today I'm a sinner. <laughs> I know I'm sick of my sin. I'm sorry for it. I know I have a Savior that's remedied and paid for it. And he stands alive today, the, the victor of the grave. And I don't know what I did in the past. I'm not sure, but I know what I know today. And I turn and I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. And I'll walk out of here with no doubt. No cloud and no doubt. I'll walk out of here in peace today. Maybe that's your answer. Am I saved? You'd be a fool not to settle it today. Can't imagine not settling today. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. I want to tell you on the authority of God's word, the preached gospel of Jesus Christ, he'll save you today. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. And I march through this message, and I see my sin, I hate it. I see when I knew better and I didn't, really didn't care. I see where I rebelled against you. I see where I went in my way and not yours. I see where I thought I knew better. I see where I carried your name poorly and I pretended to know things. And, and Lord, I come and I tell you I'm sorry for my sin. I also know that, Lord, I have no hope outside of you. But I, Lord Jesus, do have hope in you. You came and you actually paid for my sin. You actually paid my penalty. Greatest act of love ever, ever demonstrated, ever carried out. Lord, I, I know you stand as the risen Savior today. And my hope is in you as my Savior. My trust is in you as my Savior. Lord, I pray for some here that don't have that settled. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray there would be, Lord, many people that would settle it today, that would have peace today that would trust you and turn to you today. I pray that any hindrance to that be removed. And I pray the fruit of this day, this hour, this message would bring much glory to my Savior, Jesus. Lord, we come and we thank you for making a way at your own cost. We praise you for not leaving us in our helpless mess. The work of our own doing. We're thankful for a Savior that is gracious and kind to us as sinners. Lord, I pray that you move in this time of invitation. I trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ for the very first time today, I want to encourage you just a moment to come and, and meet me here at the front of the church. And we're going to profess with our mouths what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is Lord, that he's our Savior. And so I want to encourage you, if you've made that decision today, maybe you've understood this for the first time today, that you would come, and we're going to pray, and we're going to celebrate as a church. If you're here and you say, I'm not sure, I'm still not sure, but I'm tired of, of not knowing, I'm tired of not having peace, 
You come this morning, let's settle this today. Don't walk out of here without this settled today, a settled fact. Maybe you're here and you've been saved. Praise the Lord. And your response is to praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. An invitation, you praise Jesus. Maybe you want to come here and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. If you've never trusted Jesus, trust him today. If you're here and you've followed Christ but never followed in believers' baptism, it's a sign of what we believe, a testimony of what we believe of Jesus. It's not part of our salvation. It doesn't save us. It testifies to who our Savior is and who we are in Him. Maybe you need to come and say, well, I believe in Christ and I've trusted Christ. Oh, but I want to testify to the salvation that we have in Jesus. You come, we'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll preach His good news. We'll uphold His gospel till he comes again for his glory. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you're dealing with something totally different. You want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit, but that you would pray for those who are making decisions. We stand to sing. If God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.